You know, the culture is actually damn good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, where y'all at? Welcome to the program. I know why this crowd's so excited. Grandiose delusional disorder is characterized by delusions of power and supreme importance. Because that's my strength. The economy, getting OPEC to behave. We have all the power. You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Donald Trump is like what a hobo imagines a rich man to be. Does everybody have to be crazy today? Now get me savior! And away we go. Welcome to the show, everybody. Delighted you're joining us here on the SportsJourney.com network. Bob Matthews here. It's the Bob Matthews Podcast. And, man, hey, guess what day it is. That's right. If you're tuning in today on Thursday, game day. College football is here. Okay, granted, last week there was a game real small. Austin P played somebody tonight. We really you talk about a marquee matchup. My alma mater. Thank you very much. The University of Southern Mississippi taking on South Alabama. Can't wait. I am going to be watching that one tonight. No doubt we will be talking about it in the days and weeks to come. One week from today, NFL kicks off. Texans and Chiefs at Arrowhead. Hard to believe, isn't it? In the Redskins. And next Sunday, Washington FT. Those we're calling them now. That's right, Washington and the Eagles next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Going to hear from Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio in a couple of minutes, head coach, defensive coordinator, and from the athletic, Rhiannon Walker is going to be dropping by in just a few minutes as well. But first, let's do some hoops real quick. That vintage CBS music is crack. I love that. I, I, uh, CBS had the best NBA, NBA pick back in the 70s, early 80s. You can almost hear Pat O'Brien um, before, you know, the creepy emails. And the NBA rolls on CBS. Man, that Rockets-Thunder game last night. By the way, um, the ratings were higher than they have been in a couple of years. So kudos to the NBA for pulling a big number. Much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of some politicos in the Beltway. Nevertheless, um, boy, just an incredible game. And never let it be said that James Harden doesn't know how to play defense. I mean... If it wasn't for Harden's defensive play last night, chances are the Rockets may not have won that game. He literally won it with that stop there with, what, two seconds left on the clock? Absolutely unbelievable. And and the thing about it was this. That what do we always think about when we think about James Harden? It's scoring. You know, the guy's going to put up 30 shots. And maybe he makes 14 or 15 of them. But it's always been his rap that he can't, that he's just a shooter, and that in the end, that's going to let you down. Win you a ton of games in the regular season, but not in the play, you know, not in, once you get to the playoffs, forget about it. You know, he's he's got a cap on him. Four for 15 shooting last night. One for nine from behind the three-point stripe. And James Harden was the hero of the game because of his defense. So I got to say, we can, you can't fault, you can't say Harden doesn't play defense anymore. That block on Lou Dort there, 
in the last couple of seconds won the game for the Rockets. And, and I, I'm t- I've watched both of the games last night just enjoyable as hell. They really were. You know, Houston um, winning, the, winning the game 7, 104-102. And the Heat now up two games to none on the Bucks, And what is going on there? I mean, it's, you know, Milwaukee, they were, what, 53-8 and eight at one point? But kind of like the Capitals, going into the, the shutdown, they were not playing great. And that has continued here in the playoffs. You know, you saw them drop that first game against Orlando in that series. And granted, they roared back and, and won four straight after that. But they're down two games to none now. And... You look at it, Giannis played pretty good. I mean, what more can you ask out of the guy? 10 of 18 from the field, 9 of 13 from the free throw line. Yeah, okay, if you really want to split hairs, you say maybe, you know, he, he's got to make more free throws. But, it, I mean, you know, come on. Um, in all, what did they miss last night? Four, five, they missed six free throws total. Out of, what, 32? I don't know. I mean, the Heat have just been just been beating them at their own game. You know, field goal percentages are largely the same, but they better figure something out, and they better, better figure it out quick because this is not a good matchup for them. And Jimmy Butler is just... he. It's, it's Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys that maybe you've never heard of, but they are they're playing like a team. And you know who I feel really good for with this is Eric Spolstra. I mean, think about it. How many people, you know, were when Spolstra, when Pat Riley first gave Eric Spolstra the job, you know, yeah, they, you're like, oh, I mean, you know, yeah, come on, of course he's winning. You know, he had LeBron, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. I mean... You know, they're like, please, you know, he should win the title every year. He should win a couple. Of, he should win three championships with that group. And uh, and then, you know, and then, of course, you know, all three of them leave. And now you look at it and you're saying, oh, look at this. Maybe Eric Spolstra does know a thing or two about coaching. I mean, right now, as it stands, uh, unless the Bucks come up with something Come up with some answers and come up with some answers quick. You're looking at the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. First time ever that you've had the top two seeds go down 2-0 in the conference semifinals. It has never happened before. Toronto's down 2-0 to nothing to Boston, and they are playing Thursday night um, that game. They're, they've got game three of that series um, tonight on TNT, and then after that, it's uh, Denver and the L.A. Clippers. All right, let's get to it. We are, as we said, just a week away from the start of the NFL season, and we are, what does that make it, 10 days from kickoff Sunday? So let's do it. Somebody, please, maestro, cue the dramatic music. We're in this weird sort of window here where they're not really getting ready for 
a game right yet. You know, there, there's not really heavy game planning going on for Philadelphia just yet. As a matter of fact, the, the biggest thing that Ron Rivera and his staff have to work on is getting this roster down to 53 people. And then, of course, the expanded practice squad this year. And Coach Rivera said at the press briefing today, that is going to be harder because of the fact that there are no preseason games. There are a lot of discussions because what's going to happen is you're going to have a scout or two or a coach or two that's adamant about a guy, and yet we have nothing to go on other than, okay, I watched his college tape or I've watched his pro tape when he was with the other team and I've seen him do this. I know he can do this, but we haven't seen it because we haven't been able to compete the right way, the, the way that you need to compete so you're able to tell whether or not a guy has that kind of ability. That's the hard part for us. And quite honestly, that's the unfair thing for these a lot of these young guys because, in fact, I was walking over to talking to some of the coaches when we were going getting ready for a walk there, and I said, uh, said to them, I said, you know, we're going to cut two or three guys that really should probably make this team, but they haven't had a chance, you know, and, and I understand last year that one of the guys that really showed well was Steven Sims and look at him right. now. He's a guy that's, you know, got an opportunity. He's, he's, a, he's a return guy for us. He's, he's a slot receiver for us. I mean, these are all things that, that, that are playing into our decision-making and, and, and have quite honestly, I think really created a situation where we do get bogged down in our conversations because we don't know. Rivera also gave us some insight today into the decision-making process, and it's very different. We can talk to when we talk to Rhea in a couple of minutes. I want to ask her about what is kind of different, both on and off the field, with the Washington football team this year. But one of the things that you learned listening to Ron Rivera this year is, and of course, this has been kind of obvious since the day he was hired. But personnel is—he's the final say on personnel, and it just creates this whole different vibe. Kyle Smith and his guys in personnel and scouting, very, very good at what they do. Um, but all they do is make recommendations. Well, I mean, they make recommendations. They tell Ron, I'm telling you, this guy is the guy. This is the guy you need to go with, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, it's Rivera's decision. Not like that with Jay Gruden. Uh, you know, Jay Gruden was there. He was the offensive mastermind, and he had the great system. And, of course, towards the end of it, it was more, hey, I, I just kind of work here, man, and we got to coach him up and all that. There is no doubt who is in charge of putting this roster together. It is Ron Rivera. And Kyle and I have been, we've been talking all week. Um, the only difference, more so than anything else, is that the, 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 the sole responsibility lies on me. I mean – Kyle's got a huge influence in this. He's, he's a big part of the conversation. Kyle has run all of our personnel meetings that we've had to date. Um, and so at the end of the day, when, when the decision is going to be made, Kyle and I are going to work it out and come to a conclusion as we go forward. Um, but, you know, as it looks, as it appears on paper, you know, that's my responsibility. And they got some decisions to make. All right. Let's get to it. Rhiannon Walker of The Athletic joins us now, or as we like to say, we got a mouse in the house on her way to practice and getting ready for all things Washington football team. Re, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. We're going to dive right on in here. I, the first question I had, and I've been interested in, what has it been like? It just doesn't feel like it's been the usual kind of preseason. I mean, duh, because there's been no games, but has it been 
do you guys get a sense, those of you watching practice every day, that I know the season's just 10 days away, but does it really kind of feel like the season's 10 days away, if that makes any sense? No. The, the, the easy answer to that is no. It hasn't been the same. It's been a very, I don't want to know if I say watered down is the right word. It's it's not the same. It's not what I want, and I will try to. I will try to be as honest with you as I possibly can. I really don't care for the way that everything went. That's just my personal opinion, and it's not the fault of the team or anybody else involved. It's really the set of circumstances that we find ourselves in. But it sucks the fact that we didn't go down to Richmond. I like Richmond. I have family in Richmond. I look forward to going to Richmond. I enjoy the fact that everybody is at ease when they're down there in Richmond. Um, I, I miss the fact that people are at ease when they're at OTAs and training camp and everything, or excuse me, uh, OTAs, rookie mini camp, veterans mini camp, and all those various components. And I've said to many of people that this basically is like a redshirt season for a good deal of us in the media because, for instance, I haven't met any of the new draft picks or any of the new people they've brought in face-to-face. The closest I ever got was uh, J.D. McKissick. Um, you know, it's not hard to recognize me. Again, I'm the only black one on the, on the beat, so it's easy, I guess, from Twitter, but you know, he gave me a little shout out at practice. He just thanked me for, um, you know, focusing on people that people don't usually pay attention to. And I find that interesting with him because, you know, so many people have been talking about him, but, you know, I said, you're welcome. And, you know, I said, it's nice to meet you from an extreme distance, of course. Um, just, I enjoy the sit downs at dinner or at lunch I have with people when I see them around the, around the city in Richmond. I enjoy how relaxed they are because when the season kickstarts, I know I personally am very, not on edge, but I'm very more serious for the most part. Whereas in Richmond, you saw me last year throwing the football around during the practices mm-hmm. with different people. I was joking around with the interns. They laugh about the fact that, you know, I almost got run over by a player. It's just lighthearted people can see different components and in this business where trust and fostering relationships is paramount to really one getting to know people but two getting people to believe that you should be somebody that they should talk to disseminate information to or just people that you can reach out to and say like hey you know i'm thinking of you or like i hope you're doing well all the stuff like that we haven't had those opportunities and for someone like me a people person especially someone who doesn't like to text this sucks I mean, I started that, I started this by saying that, and I continue to have that opinion. I'm not, people always say, like, well, you're like 27, you're a millennial. I don't like texting. I hate texting. Anybody, you know I don't like texting. I mean, anytime I get, anytime I get an unnecessary text message from someone, my my friends will say, fix your face, because I literally don't like it. I'll call you, or I'll, I'll FaceTime somebody. I'll, I'll meet you in person. I would rather go out of my way to meet someone in person than to text them. That is how much right. I hate texting. Um, so I the point you. being is that, Training camp was not as much fun as it has been in the past. And we didn't get an opportunity to be this brand-new coaching staff, this brand-new draft class, this brand-new free agent class. And, you know, they did the best they could do given the circumstances, which I really appreciate from the team, and I hope that that comes across, is that they did the best that they possibly could do given the circumstances. But there are a lot of there are a lot of missed opportunities this year, this year just because, again, players didn't get a chance to know me. I didn't get a chance to know them. So stories that we would have otherwise had just – talking at training camp the fact that I don't have I can't just walk up to a player and talk to anybody I want to talk to that changes things there are a lot of stories that I didn't get to report on simply because of that fact alone so right it just was it was nowhere near the same it wasn't even close 
So the next question that's probably pretty obvious, which is, of course, what we're known for here, um, the practices themselves. I mean, for the last three or four years, we've been talking about how Jay Gruden ran a laid-back practice. It was Club Jay, and had he won, had there been results, everything would have been fine. But he didn't, so now you got Ron Rivera here, who is an old-school guy and is going to run practices a very intense, old-school way. So what has the difference in practice been like? I, I guess, first, has there been a difference in the intensity of the practices, and then has it manifested itself? Yes, it was different. One, the practices were earlier. That's number one. For instance, like one small change is the fact that last year, Jay and the year before last, Jay would have practice at one o'clock in the afternoon. Vaughn has practices at eleven forty-five. Me, a morning person, I prefer that. I hated driving in traffic. I hated the late practices. I really, really did. And some people say those weren't late, but one o'clock when you have to go out to Ashburn and drive back in that traffic, if you're familiar with the DMV, is not ideal. But now with one forty-five start time, they start interviews at one forty-five, finish up. Uh, you know, in a real world, we'd probably finish up at like two. 2.45, probably, if we had locker room access and things of that nature. So I'm out. I mean, I'm in and I'm out. No driving in traffic, no leaving out in traffic. It's wonderful. Get most of my work done for the day beforehand. It is wonderful in that way. But in terms of the actual physicality of practice, yeah, the hits. I mean, even the fact that Jay Bruton, he – I forget which player he cursed out last year for touching the quarterback, but I remember John Allen yelling back, well, then effing block us then, which I a great job of. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing. No, of course, Ron Rivera doesn't want you to demolish the quarterback, but you can touch the quarterback. Like, you don't, you know, basically he doesn't want them to get so comfortable with the idea of just sitting back in the pocket. And he said this, sitting in the pocket in a non-realistic simulation where nobody comes around them and stuff like that. No, that's not how that's going to work. So he wanted them to get used to the idea of people being around their feet, people being in and around near them, the whole shebang, essentially. Um the hits, man, I, I talked about this in a number of stories. Troy, I'm not saying he had some of the hardest hits. He had the hardest hits of training camp, which continue to surprise people. But this, and this just may be me, I always allow people the space to change and to grow up and to grow into themselves. And so whatever it was that was happening the first two seasons that Troy Apke was here where it wasn't working out, he, like, he had the speed component, but he wasn't as assertive. He wasn't as aggressive. He didn't stick his nose into as many things. Whatever it is, is the new change of scenery. It's maybe possibly the fact that he realizes he had this grand opportunity to actually be the starting free safety after, you know, you lose DJ Swearinger, you lose Monte Nicholson, um, and they bring in Sean Davis, and they have the competition with Sean Davis. I mean, he made it so very apparent that there was no competition between him and Sean Davis. Like, that was a big shock to me. I, I thought I expected more from Sean Davis to the point where on my 53 man projection, I have him getting cut because I thought Cameron Curl. Did did more, had more plays, the whole gamut. Um, and the practices were faster. Those were the three big things, the earlier start time, the harder hits, and the fact that it was more up-tempo. And to a certain extent, they got to a point where they didn't even have to tell the players, like, up-tempo. Like, they just they just gradually grabbed onto it. They weren't walking or jogging. Um, they worked out the old tendencies that they had at practice, the walking around, the jogging and stuff like that. They were always in a constant. It was, I would say, like a factor jog probably, but like not a run fully, but just they were moving constantly at practices. And that was a major difference between Jay's training camps and Ron's training camps. And the the additional factor is that the coaching staffs were all very in sync with each other. 
very much so. I mean, Chris Harris, you hear him every single day at practice. He is very excitable and in a very good way. I mean, he wants his players to do well. He wants his players to have nice things, as you probably saw me tweet about. You don't like nice things because <laughs> yeah. they would they, they would drop an interception or an opportunity to pick up a, a turnover or something like that. Nate Katzer, he obviously is very high energy. I think I talked about this last year with him. But all of the coaches were talking about running. All of the coaches were talking about accelerating. All of the coaches were talking about, like, really, like, going at it 100%, 110%. So it wasn't just the head coach being vocal. It was everybody else on the team, even to the point where the players were saying it, too. It, it, it disseminated down from the top to the bottom, and that's what you should expect to see if you have a coach in place who sets a certain standard, his coaches have a certain standard that they follow, and then the players will soon follow as well, too. You saw it the entire way down. Here's what's fascinating to me is how is that going to, how is that going to manifest itself when it comes to wins and losses? I mean, of the team's 13 losses last year, going into the fourth quarter, eight of them, I think, no, seven, seven of them were a one-score game. And, I mean, any coach in America will tell you all they want is a chance in the fourth quarter to win a ball game. And a chance is being down one score. So, you know, I, I guess it, it's going to be interesting to see how Rivera's, how the, the way Rivera approaches putting a team together and preparing a team, how that's going to manifest itself on the scoreboard this year. I think... Bob, you play sports. I see your nice ring all the time when I see you. You play sports. You know, when you practice harder than you play, it, the games are mm-hmm. easier. They literally slow down, in fact. It, it's a breeze. And if you notice a lot last year with this team, they look gassed. They look out of shape playing at times. Like they yep. just, just they would, you, like you said, it's like they go into the fourth quarter in a one, like with a one score deficit, and it can just completely get out of hand at some point in time. And part of that is the fact that they just were not training as well as they needed to train in order to have the stamina to go through the rest of those games. And that was something that Bill Callahan talked about last year is that one of the things he noticed is not that they didn't have the heart to fight through things, is that they looked exhausted when they were playing. And you know when you're exhausted, you make more mistakes, you don't give as much of an effort. It's the whole shebang. So they are practicing now harder than they played. I mean, I remember last year when Bill Callahan took over, they were running gassers. You remember when we talked about that? Like they yeah. that first yep. practice that he had, they had they he had them running gassers, and so yep. now with better stamina, with um, being in shape more, you can go four quarters, you can go into an overtime game, um, you know, and you can compete at the level that you need to in order to win those games. So the biggest difference there is is just, it's really simple: is that if you work yourself into the ground now, by the time that you go into a three-hour game and you don't have the same level of being out there as long, you don't have the same level of, like, um, what's the word I want? You don't always have to be at 100%. Like, it, that sounds weird, but just, you know, there's some plays where, like, you, you know for a fact you don't have to, like, go completely 100% because you're not out there or whatever the case may be, things of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. Now you can – continue to give this really good effort now maybe that fumble that they did not get the other team got you know the fumble that, for, a fumble that they forced that they didn't get because you 
know, guys are just not running at max effort. Now maybe they do get to it, and I saw a lot of that in practice. Like, they, they keep running through the plays, which you should do in any NFL practice, but they continue to run through the plays. Or you get an interception and you need a few blockers ahead of you so that maybe you could take that thing out. You saw that a lot in the practices as well, too. Um, and the offensive guys running through tackles, like just running through the contact, all of those different things. Um, because you never know that one broken tackle may lead to you scoring or it may lead to you getting a big play or it may lead to you getting a first down. All this to say, simply put, that they have now put themselves in a position physically where they can just ask, if nothing else, sometimes it's not about talent. They they have talent a lot of spots, but you know that sometimes it's about hustle. It's about effort. It's about um, – one side that's just not willing to quit because at the end of the day, someone who's willing to work harder than somebody who has more talent than them probably wins that battle. Most people know that I, I like to believe. So that's the big thing right there is that they just want to be in the game. They just want to, they just want to be in the game and they feel like if they are in good shape, they feel like they have the talent to be able to compete. And one of the things that Thomas Davis said to, to wrap this up succinctly is that they have more talent on this roster than they had on the Carolina Panthers roster when Ron took over in 2011. You have to think about the fact that they had purged the guys like Jake DeLome um, and other notable Carolina Panthers players that had been there prior to Rivera's um, hiring as the coach. This roster has talent in a lot of spots. The defensive line is obviously the major focal point. The running back group is just stock full of talent. And I tend to believe that the linebacking group and even the corners and the safeties have more to give than people would give them credit for. I'm not saying they're on equal parts. They're not on equal parts by any stretch of the imagination. You could always upgrade. I'm just saying, simply put, that these are players that they will surprise you. And when you have players like Thomas Davis and you have players like Landon Collins and you have guys like Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, who are used to a certain level of winning and effort, it doesn't matter if you're not as talented as the defensive line group. At least they expect they expect you to at least be out there hustling as hard as you possibly can, putting yourself in a position to take advantage of anything and everything that's happening out there. And then offensively, you know, they have – the wide receiver group could obviously stand to be improved. Like, they could put some more people around, Stevenson and Terry McLaurin. But J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson, Adrian Peterson, those three alone right there – there's a lot of talent in the top three of your running back group. They have so much to offer in terms of what they can do, uh, especially the versatility of McKissick and Gibson. It just impressed me throughout camp how many different ways they used them, how much they hid what it was that they wanted to do. And at some level, I think that that really seriously can work to their advantage moving forward. You see what I'm saying? Oh, no, absolutely. How about Dwayne? Uh, what are we going to see differently from Dwayne Haskins this year? How different is he – training camp this year than between training camp this year and last year, say after he had taken over as the starting quarterback. This time he knew for a definitive fact that he was going to be the starter. I think I, I know he was working. It was never announced until yesterday officially that he was going to be the starter, but it was my impression that it was always his job to lose. He has the talent. Mm-hmm. He's always had the talent. It's more a matter of having people in a room that believe in him and give him the kind of environment to not only push him, but also to encourage him and to, mm, what's the word I want? It's like to pull out his best attributes and not be afraid to tell him when he's making mistakes, have those conversations with him instead of, one of the things I always notice about Jay Gruden is like, for instance, with RG3 or with Dwayne, 
it's how he kind of publicly shamed them. I always found that very interesting. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that's like, you, you should be very honest about what's going on with somebody. But I always found it very interesting in contrast how he was not as direct and uh, condescending with Kirk Cousins. I always found that to be very a very interesting dichotomy, read between the lines. Um, and so with Ron, it was, yes, there are things he needs to do. Yes, he needs to step up and be a leader. Yes, he needs to show me some things in order for me to feel comfortable with him being the leader of this team. And what did he do? He was practicing with his wide receiver group. He got out there with Stephen Sims. He got out there with Terry McLaurin. Even in COVID, he found a way to work with these guys. He worked with Cam Newton. He picked Cam Newton's brain. You know, he talked to, I believe it was Ken Zampezi and maybe Scott Trent. I think it was Ken Zampezi, though. But basically, he told Ken Zampezi I was going to be working with, you know, Cam Newton. And Zampezi told him, like, you know, pick his brain. Like, you know, ask him questions about anything that you want to know. This is a good opportunity for you to learn some things. So just – talk to him and find out what it is that you can learn so that you can be of an advantage to you. And it seems like he did, you know, yeah, he's still working on it. He has the same kind of thing that Cam does when it, or Newton does when it comes to the eyes and the body being all lined up with each other. And he's still growing into his body as well too. He's only 23. So now it's 22, 22 or 23. I can't remember, but he's young. The point being is that he's still working on doing those things. And as we got through training camp, you could see one, first of all, you could see that he had a better command of the huddle. You know, that experience he had last year with those seven games, understanding what it takes to talk to those fully grown men in that huddle, command that huddle, he has learned that lesson. He now knows what he needs to do to the point where he can assist other players. And this is something Ron talked about yesterday, but something that I simply noticed is that there are times where Antonio Gibson, who had two different roles he's learning as a running back and a wide receiver, he might get confused, and you would see Haskins pointing him to where he needs to be or another player directing him to wherever he needed to go. And so that, to me, was the big next step is that, okay, you know what you're doing to the point where now it, it's such a secondary thought that you can start to talk to other players. You know what they're supposed to be doing, too. That's a great sign for him as a quarterback in his sophomore year and learning a brand-new system in only a second season. So those are the big changes. He has a rocket of an arm. He still does. I mean, he didn't take as many shots as Kyle Allen, but when he did, you just see it. You see how much fun he's having. You see how he's not looking over his shoulder um, that easiness that comes with playing when you're not worried about those things outside of your control, that's kind of what you saw with Dwayne throughout training camp this year. Gotcha. What about Dwayne? How different has he seemed this year as compared to last year? Because I know it's been night and day. This time he knew for a definitive fact that he was going to be the starter. I think I, I know he was working. It was never announced until yesterday officially that he was going to be the starter. But it was my impression that it was always his job to lose. He has the talent. Mm-hmm. He's always had the talent. It's more a matter of having people in a room that believe in him and give him the kind of environment to not only push him, but also to encourage him and to, mm, what's the word I want? It's like to pull out his best attributes and not be afraid to tell him when he's making mistakes, have those conversations with him instead of – one of the things I always notice about Jay Gruden is, like, for instance, with RG3 or with Dwayne, is how he kind of publicly shamed them. I always found that very interesting. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that's like, you, you should be very honest about what's going on with somebody. But I always found it very interesting in contrast how he was not as direct and uh, condescending with Kirk Cousins. I always found that to be very a very interesting dichotomy, read between the lines. Um and so with Ron, it was, 
Yes, there are things he needs to do. Yes, he needs to step up and be a leader. Yes, he needs to show me some things in order for me to feel comfortable with him being the leader of this team. And what did he do? He was practicing with his wide receiver group. He got out there with Stephen Sims. He got out there with Terry McLaurin. Even in COVID, he found a way to work with these guys. He worked with Cam Newton. He picked Cam Newton's brain. You know, he talked to, I believe it was Ken Zampezi and maybe Scott Turner. I think it was Ken Zampezi, though. But basically, he told Ken Zampezi I was going to be working with, you know, Cam Newton. Zampezi told him, like, you know, pick his brain. Like, you know, ask him questions about anything that you want to know. This is a good opportunity for you to learn some things. So just – talk to him and find out what it is that you can learn so that you can be of an advantage to you. And it seems like he did, you know, yeah, he's still working on it. He has the same kind of thing that Cam does when it, or Newton does when it comes to the eyes and the body being all lined up with each other. And he's still growing into his body as well too. He's only 23. So now it's 22, 22 or 23. I can't remember, but he's young. The point being is that he's still working on doing those things. And as we got through training camp, you could see one, first of all, you could see that he had a better command of the huddle. You know, that experience he had last year with those seven games, understanding what it takes to talk to those fully grown men in that huddle, command that huddle, he has learned that lesson. He now knows what he needs to do to the point where he can assist other players. And this is something Ron talked about yesterday, but something that I simply noticed is that there are times where Antonio Gibson, who had two different roles he's learning as a running back and a wide receiver, he might get confused, and you would see Haskins pointing him to where he needs to be or another player directing him to wherever he needed to go. And so that, to me, was the big next step is that, okay, you know what you're doing to the point where now it, it's such a secondary thought that you can start to talk to other players. You know what they're supposed to be doing, too. That's a great sign for him as a quarterback in his sophomore year and learning a brand-new system in only a second season. So those are the big changes. He has a rocket of an arm. He still does. I mean, he didn't take as many shots as Kyle Allen, but when he did, you just see it. You see how much fun he's having. You see how he's not looking over his shoulder um, that easiness that comes with playing when you're not worried about those things outside of your control, that's kind of what you saw with Dwayne throughout training camp this year. Gotcha. All right, so what's on tap now for this week? We're, we're in that weird time where you don't officially start game planning, I guess, for Philly until next week. I know they got to make roster cuts by Saturday, correct? Correct, that's it. And that's what we are – that's what we're gearing up for. So, I mean, it, it is a weird bit of an impasse. Um, trying to start looking at the Clark trade a little bit. Maybe I'll work with some coworkers to kind of get a better assessment of, like, what all that was about. Um, but then in addition to that, just kind of analyzing why certain players were cut, any potential additions that they may make based on, like, who gets cut. Uh, in the near future, I know people have talked about Muhammad Sanu, the fact that he and uh, Haskins have a very close relationship and the fact that the wide receiver room could, you know, they could use a boost. Um, mm. It's just being, it's just keeping an eye out for all those different things. People were talking about Leonard Fournette. And I'm like, where in the running back room do you see Leonard Fournette fitting? Please make, make <laughs> exactly. it make sense to me. I, I want to know where you see this guy fitting in this already crowded running back room. All right, we're going to let you go. Ree, thanks so much for joining us. Again, you can catch all of Rhiannon's work. Future Pulitzer Prize winning work, by the way. Uh, at theathletic.com. I am sure they have a special on a subscription, seeing as how football season about to start. Thank you, Ray. See you out, hopefully, at FedEx here in about a week or so. All right, Mick and the clock on the wall say it is time for us to get the heck up on out of here. Enjoy Thursday night football, college variety. Go Eagles, Southern Miss to the top. Talk to you again tomorrow. Remember, 
Like the wise man once said, if you're on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. Hey.